Hi, Flourishing Therapreneurs. I wanted to hop on and share that our course Flourishing in Private Practice is coming spring 2022. If you are a pre-licensed student, trainee, associate, or even a licensed therapist that perhaps is either wanting to learn more about strengthening your private practice or curious to take the leap from agency to being your own boss, this course will walk you through all the steps. From the basics of setting up your business structure, creating your brand, building your reputation in the field, and strengthening your systems to help your business flourish. This course is filled to the brim with tangible examples, templates, and structure to help your business thrive and for you to grow and flourish personally and professionally. This course will be open for enrollment for two weeks in the spring, and then we'll close until the fall for a second round of enrollment. If this is you and you are wanting in, go to our website at theflourishingtherapreneur.com to join our mailing list and to be the first to know when the doors open. We also have a free download on our website called 10 Steps to Starting a Private Practice, available for you today. So if you're wanting to get started sooner or dip your feet into the idea, don't wait another moment. All right, enjoy the episode and looking forward to continuing to grow and flourish together as therapists and entrepreneurs, as therapreneurs. Let's go. Welcome to the Flourishing Therapreneur Podcast, a podcast that equips therapists to thrive in business, expand their reach, and create flourishing and meaningful lives, both personally and professionally. I'm your host, Claire Blakey. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist in private practice. I believe in being a multi-passionate therapist. You can have a thriving, financially impactful business, be a leader in the community, and also a business entrepreneur. You don't have to choose, and your impact as a clinician can go beyond the therapy room. I believe that you can be a therapist and an entrepreneur, a therapreneur, and I believe that every therapist deserves the tools, community, and resources to build thriving businesses and flourishing lives. I pair my passion and previous career in PR, marketing, and blogging with my education and experience as a clinician to equip therapists like you who are multi-passionate and wanting to pursue additional opportunities to grow your skill set and expand your reach. So what are we waiting for? Let's get going. Let's create impact and build flourishing lives and businesses we're proud of. Here we go. Hi, Molly, and welcome to the Flourishing Therapreneur Podcast. I am so glad you're here. If you want to take a little bit of time and just introduce yourself to the audience, who you are, your clinical experience, or anything else that they should know. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Claire. It's such an honor to be on your podcast and, yeah, be a part of what you're doing. I think it's amazing. So my name is Molly Zive. I'm a licensed clinical social worker in San Diego, California, And I am currently in private practice where I help open-hearted millennials align to their highest self. I think my calling in life is to help people lean into their deservability and their worthiness and helping them really go after the things that they want in their life. And I feel very, very fortunate and honored to be doing this work. And alongside that, I have a podcast called Therapy Snacks, and it helps make mental health uh, more accessible and talking about different things in terms of not just mental health, but how can we heal ourselves? Um, and so it's outside the therapy room. I find that work to be very important as well. And, um, I'm also a clinical supervisor for, um, interns. And so, yeah, I, I keep myself very busy. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So many things. And I feel like 
like, as you described, like, you know, what you do and what you're passionate about, it really encapsulates like what the flourishing therapist is. Cause it's really multi-passionate therapists that are creating entrepreneurial endeavors and you're doing it. You have a flourishing private practice. You have a podcast, which I want to learn more about how you started that and dreamed that up. You're impacting people outside of the therapy room. And then you're also training the next generation of therapists, which is such an honor to be able to, to kind of give those lessons and that wisdom to others. That's awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why, um, mm-hmm. just for anyone else that's listening, I mean, there's, I have so many follow-up questions to ask you, but, um, just so people have a sense, how long have you been licensed? Like how long have you had a private practice? would love to start hearing a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm going to back up a little bit. I graduated with my MSW from USC in 2015, and then I worked really hard to get my clinical hours. Um, I actually, it was my second internship in my second year, my supervisor, who was like a director of a program, I, I was more interested in macro work. I was like, how can I help as many people as possible? And, um, she was like, you need to get licensed, like just get licensed, do it. Like, I know you don't want to be doing this one-to-one work, but just do it. So that was the best advice I was ever given. So I hit the ground running after um, I graduated and I got licensed in 2018. Um, That's and quick. so I started my private <laughs> practice. Yeah. Yeah. Three years. Yeah. I, yeah. I, like I said, I just threw myself in placements that weren't really necessarily aligned with all my values, but I got a lot of really good clinical experience, you know, in the psychiatric hospitals and intensive outpatient programs. Um, yeah, those were kind of the opportunities in San Diego that I saw. And I, and you know what, I really love (laughs) those patients. I really do. When I think back about those placements, it, it was the system that I was working in that was really sick, but the people that I worked with were they were just so phenomenal and really opened up my eyes to a lot of different, um, you know, experiences, not just like clinical, but like spiritually, I feel like I grew so much. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, I got a license in 2018. I fumbled my way through the licensing positions. You know, they, they wave dollar signs at you in those managed care. Um, I don't know if you ever worked in managed care, um, positions. And so I did that for a little bit, burnt myself out. And then in 2020, um, in January, I finally pulled the trigger and started my own private practice. And we were in the middle of a pandemic and I was doing it part-time January to Mar- to May. And I finally was like, I can't, I can't do my full-time job and do private practice on the side anymore. Like I really need to make this change for myself, for my well being. And so, um, May of 2020, I went full-time private practice. Wow. That's so courageous, especially during a time where, you know, there's a lot of things happening in the world, a lot of additional stress, and it takes courage, I think, in any time period, but specifically during the pandemic, to leave maybe a secure paying job or to really trust in yourself and to trust that you have the skills and the ability to, you know, get the clients to build a sustainable practice, mm-hmm. all of those things. Um, what, what would you say, like when you first started, um, cause it sounds like you were working somewhere else full-time or part-time and then also doing private practice. What did your schedule look like? Were you doing that like on the weekends or like, did you have certain days off that you would then see clients or for anyone that's listening, that's maybe in a similar spot of their goal is private practice, but they're not quite there yet. They're still kind of trying to navigate how to build it. What help us understand what your life looked like and how you did that. 
Yeah. So any advice I would give to someone who's even thinking about it is just go for it. I wish I did it sooner. Um, so I kind of, I worked my full-time job. Um, I did my hours were nine 45 to six 15, 9 AM to six 15 PM. And I would see clients after that two days a week. And then I would see the um, clients on the weekend. So once I kind of hit, I think four or five clients, I was like, uh, I, I can probably do this. I had to kind of look at my financials and just see, look at my savings, but I didn't have a lot of savings. That's why I'm saying anyone could do this. Um, and I just, it was more about that mindset of taking that leap and really believing in myself and, um, having a partner who wouldn't let me step down because right before I was going to be full-time private practice, I was like, Hey, this nonprofit job opened up. I think I'm going to apply for it. And he's like, what the hell are you doing? Why? <laughs> are you doing this to yourself? And so, and which is why I'm marrying him because he, he's so great. And he so like pushes me to be, um, see my potential and, and just remind me, right. Like I didn't need him, but it's nice to have that like reminder of like, I can do this as scary as it is. And that's my advice to like anything that I've done in my career is like doing it with fear, like doing it anyways, even though I'm scared. Yeah. I love that. I think you're right. I think there's never a time that we feel fully confident or we might feel confident or called, but we still have this, like the what ifs, like the anxiety, the, the, the fear of failure, the fear of what if no one calls, what if I don't, you know, what if it's only successful for a month and then it like dwindles off, you know? So I think that's great. And I love whether it's a partner or friends or other colleagues, having people that remind you, like you can do this and remind you of maybe the things that we don't always see in ourselves or the things that we see, but Mm -hmm. we sometimes shy away from. So that's really awesome that you have a partner Mm -hmm. that's so supportive and that can kind of be that mirror to say, no, you got this. Look at you. You're already kind of building this. You're already going. Um, That's awesome. I'm really happy for you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, something I really wanted to talk about, cause I was just really, um, excited to see whether it was through your website, whether it's through the way that you brand, like you have a very clear clientele, like the way that, like when you're reading it, I'm like, I know who she's talking to. Like the way that you describe, like you're here because of this, like you're very clear on your offerings. So I'm curious, like how you got so clear or how that became your niche or niche. I know people say it differently. Um, but, um, yeah. Could you kind of speak into that and how that has maybe helped your practice flourish or helped you flourish as a clinician because you're better serving with the skill set and the passions that you have? Yeah. Yeah. It was such a phenomenal question and what a compliment. Thank you for saying that. Um, so I think it's a lot of trial and error. Like my private practice has I I don't like to use pivot anymore. I like to use aligned because I think pivoting is for other people, right? I think Mm -hmm. aligned is like, this is what I want. So when I started my private practice, it was kind of like a catch-all. I took insurance. Um, That's what the people around me were doing. So I was just like, I'm going to take insurance. And there there were people on my caseload that I absolutely loved. And so I wanted more of that. I leaned into more of that. You know, I said, I treat anxiety, depression, trans, you know, life transitions, um, bipolar. I mean, I, everything under the sun, right. We're generalists. Like they teach us to be generalists. We we can work with anyone based on our uh, experience and then our schooling. Right. So they didn't really teach us to niche down. When, when I say they, I mean, um, you know, school and agency work, uh, just like the field in general was kind of like, 
the messages that I got was like, you need to be as accessible as possible and treat as many people as possible. Like don't, don't turn your back on anyone. So it's a lot of pressure and it's not, and it's burnout city. So, (laughs) um, when I recognize the things that I didn't like about that model, taking insurance and taking pretty much everyone, it helps sharpen what it is that I did want and my desires and who my ideal client is. You know, I got really clear about closing my eyes and just thinking about like, who is my ideal client? Let's name her. What is it that she's struggling with and how can I use my gifts and my skills to really serve her? And a lot of this work was through this coaching program. I just went through the last four months with um, my coach. She's the healing strategy. Um, she's great. Her name is Josie. And so I went through this coaching program where she really taught us how to um, fine tune our marketing and our niche and really claim it in a world where we weren't really allowed to claim it. Like I, I really don't feel like I had that permission. And so being in this group coaching um, system. I mean, we're all so different as clinicians and we all serve different people, but just to see like, oh, well, she's really going for it. Like maybe I can go for my thing, you know, and just having that like camaraderie to know that like we can give ourselves permission to claim what it is that we are really, really good at. Because I think that by niching down and I've listened to a lot of podcasts um, as well around this, you know, people people come to us for something specific, but they also know that we can do something general, right? Like we took licensing exams to like be generalists. So if if there is something more general, then, you know, we can address it, but why not go for the thing that lights me up, that makes me happy, that makes me want to jump out of bed every day and see my clients. Um, So that's a little bit about my process. Yeah, no, I, I really resonate with that. And that's something that I've really been gravitating to in my private practice is um, I'm perinatal mental health certified and then also work a lot with eating disorders and body image. And I feel like when you kind of just spoke into it, when you start seeing a client consistently or maybe your whole client load becomes your ideal client load, you don't burn out mm-hmm. as quickly. You're more fulfilled at the end of the day. You're choosing clients, hopefully, or maybe the populations that you serve are ones that, you know, don't tax your body, don't, um, give additional stress. They're the type that, like you said, light you up, that you want to jump out of bed in the morning, that you feel like you're using your fullest potential and your fullest offering for your clients. Um, I've also found that it's so helpful for referrals. So for me, for example, with eating disorders, I'm working with dietitians and psychiatrists and, um, doctors and other individuals that are also treating like the full system of an eating disorder client. And so that also just provides additional referral streams because in, in the same way that if I'm working with someone that has an eating disorder, I'm going to be, you know, consulting with their dietitian or consulting with their psychiatrist, vice versa. So you get this constant mm-hmm. steady referral streams that are not just therapists. And sometimes they are therapists. Sometimes it's a local therapist that has a client and realizes, Hey, this is out of my scope. I feel like you might better mm-hmm. serve them because you're specialized and trained in this and you become known, right? Instead of, if you look at like the directories of therapists, there's so many therapists locally, most likely where, depending on where you live and you don't stand out, you're not remembered. But when you have a specialty or a niche, you come to mind, right? If someone is struggling with something. Mm-hmm. So I think that's also a huge strength because then you become an expert in the field. You become a resource for the community and, um, yeah, it goes beyond the therapy room too. It can be partnering with, you know, 
like I said, dietitians, psychiatrists, doctors, or for example, with perinatal mental health that I do, I'm working with OBs or doulas or, you know, other people that are also serving the perinatal population. So it actually makes the work more collaborative. I don't know if you feel like that at all with some of the the specialties that you do, but like it kind of opens up other doors. It opens up other opportunities to network as well. Totally. And I, yes. And I, and I can see that I think in my practice, you know, I'm kind of the things that I was like, kind of shunned for in agency work, like the woo woo, whatever you want to call it. Like, I don't know if I love the woo woo. I haven't really claimed what it is, but like kind of like the spiritual holistic, I guess I would say, you know, I have the energy healers, the chiropractors, the people who I'm like, you know, if Western medicine isn't isn't helping you, serving you. If you feel like your doctor's not listening to you, why don't we try this? You know, like just having that collaborative and having those resources of like, when it's outside of my own scope, who can I refer to? You know, like you said, the dietitian, that's very clear who you can refer to. So I love the collaboration and I love how it gets to be on our terms. Finally, you know, like we get to do it, collaborate with the people that we actually want to collaborate with. Yeah. Well, I'm curious. I feel like there's so much I want to ask about or deepen because I, you know, before we even hit record, we were kind of talking about like what it's like to be younger therapists that are, you know, building, you know, successful practices and being entrepreneurial and thinking up whether it's podcasts or other ideas of ways to impact people outside the therapy room. I'm curious if we could kind of like just have an honest conversation about what are things that you think maybe you were taught in grad school or maybe things that you see from other local clinicians that you network with that maybe are hindering blocks or maybe things that you're trying to unlearn, whether that be you can't have a successful cash pay private practice, whether that be uh, you can't niche because you need to serve everyone or you need to have a sliding scale even if you don't believe in it. Or are there those kind of topics that kind of you remember that were kind of barriers to stepping into your abundant and full practice and really in alignment with who you are? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so I am all private pay now. What, what kind of business do you run? If you don't mind me asking as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All cash pay. Yeah, Yeah. So I started with, um, insurance and the person that taught me how to do it, I love him so much. And he was like, I made six figures last year. And that that's so amazing. Like, so I was like, okay, like a light bulb went off. Like I know it's possible to make good money in this field. Wasn't really taught to me, you know, growing, growing up through the mental health system. Um, so I was like, okay, that light bulb went off and he saw seven patients a day taking insurance. And, Mm -hmm. um, I am very empathic. I tend to, it's something that I'm working through. I'm, I'm strengthening, um, where I take on a lot, you know, I, if, if someone comes to me and they're clearly in pain, I feel it, I see it, I'm, I'm acknowledge it. I'm with them, you know? So seven people in a day was not for me. Like it just wasn't sustainable. I know I couldn't do it. So, you know, I saw four or five clients a day, five, six, maybe. Um, and I burnt myself out and I was taking insurance and I was getting really resentful towards the clients that I was taking insurance for because behind the scenes, and I know this working in managed care, I feel like I got a uh, college degree in insurance is they want to pay you as little as possible for a li- like a little services as possible. Like they want their people to get better as quickly as possible. So it, it becomes this kind of tug of war where it's like, we have this really great rapport and the client is getting better and the insurance company is pushing me to get them off my caseload when I don't really feel like that's ethical or appropriate. So yeah, 
it just, it was a huge learning experience, you know? And, and I think that, um, I had to go through that. And it's funny because like every podcast I listened to before I started a private practice, they were never promoting insurance. None of them said like, you need to take insurance. None of them were, were saying you can't take insurance, but they were like, if you really want to have sustainability and, um, make an income that's going to support you and your family, um, insurance is not the move. So it's just funny to like, look back on that and be like, wow, it wasn't it, you know, for me, it wasn't like, yes, I was making more than I was in agency work, but like I said, all that stuff behind the scenes, asking for client records that I wasn't really comfortable giving, um, you know, not giving me payment for services rendered. It was just, it it was just too chaotic for me. And it was really taking away from the work that I wanted to be doing. Yeah. Well, one of the things that really, um, sticks out to me with what you're talking about is it sounds like you are really in alignment with who you are. And I don't know if that was always the case, or maybe this has been a journey of figuring out what does, like, who does Molly want to work with, but also what makes Molly feel, um, you know, complete or like you're talking about being empathetic and really, you know, figuring out how many clients do I see a day? How do I hold them? How do I, you know, leave session and leave that behind? So, what I really like about what you're saying is it, it feels like maybe instead of the the spot being, you know, how much money do I want to make? It's more like, what do I need as a clinician? What do I need as a business owner? So I don't burn out. So I love my job so I can show up fully. Mm-hmm. And so it sounds like you got clear that seven is not your number, you know, maybe it is, but maybe it's not. And maybe it's two, maybe it's four, maybe it's spacing them out. Maybe it's having like, for me, I do 45 minute sessions instead of 50 minute sessions. And just that additional five minutes helps me so that I feel like I can breathe a little bit longer. Um, but it sounds like you've gotten really clear on you as a human and then also you as a clinician. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really valuable because then you can use that to inform, okay, if I only want to see four clients a day and I'm going to do cash pay and my goal is, a hundred K a year. Then you do the calculation. How many clients is that? How many weeks am I going to take off each year? And you do that calculation and say, okay, then that's my fee. And then this is my overhead. And you kind of do this, um, this reimagining of what does that look like? And I just Mm -hmm. love that you seem so clear on, on who you are and what you need. And I'm curious if you have anything to speak into that in terms of, I imagine, you know, especially being in a system of, you know, get your clinical hours as quickly as possible. See every single client bend over backwards. Like, did you learn that the hard way or how did you get so clear on what your needs are, not just your clients? Yeah. Yeah. Really good question. I just want to highlight how great your boundaries are like setting that for yourself in terms of like the 45 minute. I'm still, I still try to work on that. (laughs) I don't, I don't stop when I'm really supposed to. So I just want to highlight how, how important boundaries are and how I see that in you and yeah, what a gift. Um, yeah. So I learned the hard way, uh, lots of therapy, (laughs) lots of, um, I'm going to leave this field. Lots of, I mean, if we're going to get real right now, like I, I really struggle with depression and suicidality mm-hmm. because I didn't, I would watch people suffer every single day, not, not in private practice. I, I would say before that agency work, I, I would have to take stress leave. I'd watch people suffer every single day and I'd barely pay my bills and, um, you know, and not really recognizing, I think that through this pandemic, it's really highlighted, um, 
everything that I've known, but not what we've really talked about in terms of oppressive systems. And, Mm. um, you know, I've always been a feminist, but I haven't really been a disruptor. And I think that I really leaned into being a disruptor. I mean, I, I I could think about times very clearly in each one of my jobs, I've had like a million in mental health field where I have kind of stirred the pot and I've had challenged my bosses and systems and things like that. But, um, I burnt myself out really easily because I took it all personally. Like I, I would be part of these systems and it would be, again, going back to being an empath, like I worked in a prison system and I would, I remember how depressed I was that holiday system when I was interning for that year. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking about all of my clients who were sitting in a jail cell and just like, yeah, so I, I took on a lot and, um, and that's no fault of my own because I think that I had to go on this journey and have a spiritual journey alongside what I was doing. So I definitely learned the hard way. I definitely saw people who, um, gaslight and who tell, who told me who are a lot older than me that I I can't be burnt out. I'm too young to be burnt out. I'm too this to be burnt out. Basically like not justifying why I felt the way that I did. So I think a lot of my personal work has really contributed to me understanding who I am. Like I've always had that self-awareness, but I haven't always believed in myself. So I really feel like the people that I work with, I'm kind of like this guide, you know, I'm kind of like, I know what it's like to not be in alignment with who I am. And I know how devastating it is. I mean, it really feels like you're dying on the inside and that that's not to be like saying that lightly, like something inside of me was dying to the point where like, I knew I was put on this earth to help people and to be a healer and to help people help themselves. But all these different placements and all these different situations and environment made me question who I was, made me question integrity and ethics. Um, so yeah, it's just huge learning journey. And I don't know if I'm going on tangent, but I have had a lot of personal struggles, um, along the way. (laughs) Yeah. Molly, I just so appreciate your honesty. Like that is courageous to speak into the depression and the suicidality that you experienced during that season of accruing your hours and maybe just the heaviness of holding Mm -hmm. just such almost impossible situations and trying to be there for your clients and not making any money or barely paying your own bills and trying to then digest what you've been hearing and holding space for. Um, and it's mm-hmm. so much more than just that session. It's like systemic. It's, there's so many pieces to the the puzzle, but I just really value you really being honest about that. Cause I imagine, I mean, anyone that's either gotten licensed or if anyone's listening, that's pre-licensed is in the trenches of maybe working with a population. They're not passionate about working with one that's Mm -hmm. just required to make sure you get your child hours, make sure you get these hours, make sure, you know, and you're Mm -hmm. doing it because you need to check it off the list. You're doing it because you need to pass the state exams. You need to prove that you've done it. And maybe that's not the population that they're passionate about. Maybe that's actually impacting Mm -hmm. their own mental health, which feels so ironic as we are supposed to be holding this space that's so sacred (laughs) and really being a vessel of healing. And yet it also is hurting us. Um, And I remember that a lot too, when I um, was towards the end of my clinical hours before I got licensed, you know, you're working, I was doing three different clinical sites. I was doing an associateship in private practice. I was working at a local community counseling education center. And then I was also working as a director at a nonprofit and doing clinical hours there. And I remember working with some of just some individuals that like, literally they would come and I'd be the only person they'd see that week. And they were so depressed and going through so many things that I felt helpless in serving them in. Mm -hmm. And it's heavy, especially like you said, as an Mm -hmm. empathic person and someone that 
really feels and cares for your clients? Like, how do you move forward in that as you juggle your 50 hour a week, you know, clinical hours and, you know, all the additional stuff It's just, it's not sustainable. And it really is a, a formula for burnout. So I really, um, I appreciate that. And I'm really sorry for just some of the things that people had said to you, especially people that maybe were clinical supervisors or people that should be encouraging you. <laughs> right. And like, and I, I'm so glad that you said that, like you, you named it the clinical supervisor, because what I tell my interns now is I get to be that clinical supervisor that I wanted, that I craved, that I needed to hear the affirmations. And the, I, I tell every single one of them, get your own damn therapist, do your yeah. own personal work. Right. But, but I'm always encouraging and I'm always empowering. Like I really want people to lean into their clinical judgment. Is this a hard you know, place to be working with different populations? Sure. But are you going to pass your clinical exam with flying colors? Absolutely. Because you've worked with every single diagnosis and you're getting experience into all these things. So, you know, just it, like I said, it, I'm so proud and honored to be a clinical supervisor and be that person that I didn't receive. So, um, mm. yeah, I, I'm just grateful for that experience. Yeah. Well, and you kind of saying that too, it makes me think it's not just in the clinical supervisor role. Like I know that we talked about this before we started recording, but like in so many different areas, like being, um, a therapist of a different generation, maybe like for me, for example, in Santa Barbara, most therapists are 50, 60, 70 years old, have had practices for 30 plus years, um, don't have websites, maybe have grown their clientele in a way that's different than the modern day, or maybe the way that I've been growing my business. And so I feel like that heartbeat that you're speaking into of being the clinical supervisor you wish you had, I think it's also being the business leader that you wish that you were surrounded with being, mm -hmm. um, you know, that encouragement, like bringing, like you said before, bringing your friends along and saying, I did this, you can do it too. Um, really mm -hmm. being brave to forge a new path. And instead of, um, maybe being protective of that path and saying like, Oh, this is my success. I don't want anyone else to get it. It's more like, no, there's so much to go around. No, I want you to mm -hmm. be empowered as a clinician. If you're not learning this in grad school, if you're not learning this at your clinical sites, that private practice is doable cash pay private practice is doable. I want to show you, I want to teach mm -hmm. you. I want to link arms with you. Um, so I love, um, I love that we kind of resonate in that, that same philosophy of empowering others and maybe reflecting on what we didn't have and wanting to give that to the next, the next emerging therapist or the next therapist that's burnt out off of agency work and saying, is it possible for me to mm -hmm. do a private practice? And we can say, yes, it is. Totally. Or, yeah. Yeah, I, I feel really proud that I um, pulled two people from my last, last, last 40-hour-a-week job that I'll ever have, I know for a fact. Um, and it was really, it was like basically a crisis line. And then it turned into like a crisis COVID line because of, you know, COVID happening. And we just didn't have the resources. And we were supposed to be doing employee assistance. And it was just beyond anything that any of us signed up for. So I'm really proud that I got two people out of the phone queue and, um, we do peer supervision now. It's really fun. We do it every other week and we, we consult on cases and things like that. And I just think about like how, you know, I don't want to say my yoga teacher said this the other day, I'm not a pusher. I'm an influencer. So I want to say that I'm an influencer, but I told my friend, I was like, listen, you can't go back to the phone queue. She was really, really sick. Autoimmune disease. Like mm -hmm. I was like, you, there's no, this place is making you sick. You're not going back. You're, you're taking the sleep and I'm telling you how to do it. So, um, you know, I was really pushy, but I also like saw my highest self saw that she really needed a change because her body was breaking down. Hmm. 
what a good friend too. And what a good colleague to like really recognize, like, no, like you deserve better. And this is impacting you in a physical, emotional, holistically, all of you way. (laughs) And to really be Mm -hmm. reminding her, it kind of reminds me of what you said about your partner, like being that mirror and being Mm -hmm. like, Hey, I've seen this in you. I know you're able to do it. You can do it. And the same thing that you modeled then to your friend and your colleague saying, no, you can do it. Let's, you know, let's. Yeah. But the difference is, is like my partner never had to take that chance. Like my partner never had to like start his own business, start this, start, you know, Mm -hmm. like I really felt like I was, I was really going out on a limb. And like you said, before we hopped on here was like, you know, we're, we're relatively young, you know, we, we, um, we're, our colleagues are a lot older than us most of the time, and unless we're pulling people out of the trenches of agency work, which is really fun. Um, but you know, like it, it was really easy for him to say because it wasn't his life. Like, thank goodness he was mirroring that to me, but it's also like ha- seeing people actually do it and seeing like, Oh, this is like an actual thing that people can do. Um, is way different than what I felt like I did. Like, sure. I had mentors, but I really felt like I was taking one of the biggest risks of my life. And I wasn't a risk taker up to that. So that, that was a really cool experience, but also like having this podcast and giving people permission to listen Mm -hmm. to your work and listen to how things are done. Like there's other people out there doing this. So you have like, I don't know what it would be called, like the vision. Like if you know that other people are doing it, it becomes a little bit easier if that makes sense. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I think in a certain sense, it, in, it induces a little bit more courage, right? Cause you're like, no, like mm-hmm. there's a need and I can meet it. And I can also join forces with other people and lean into their strengths and lean into their, you know, failures too, and how they've grown and how they've evolved. Um, you're right. It does kind of inspire and cultivate um, a sense of belief in yourself. Totally. You want to know something funny too? I know that you're going to ask me other questions, but I was, I never worked in a private practice. Like I'm, I'm going to just be very open about that. I never, so it's great that you worked in, you know, a group practice. It sounds like I, I never had that work, but when I was working on the employee assistance line, um, we, we were an insurance company. I'm not going to name the name, but we were an insurance company and people would call in and tell me about their therapist. My therapist dog pooped right in the middle of session. My therapist fell asleep in the middle of session, all these like different horror stories. And I'm like, okay, if they can do it, (laughs) I know that I'm going to show up and I'm not going to fall asleep and I'm not going to have my dog, you know, defecate in the middle of a session. Like I I knew like seeing the other side of it, I was like, okay, I got this. You know, like I, I did, I did therapy throughout my career and and clinical work, but I never worked in a private practice. So when I heard, you know, all those horror stories, first of all, it freaked me out. I was like, I'm so sorry that happened to you. Also, like it gave me, you know, the confidence to know, like, uh, I'm going to be a little bit above average <laughs> if, if I just show up and I'm myself, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. There's a lot of not great therapists out there. So when you're hearing those stories and you're kind of reminded of like what some people do experience and they, you know, pay for and still show up every week for, yeah, I think there's a lot of reasons to be confident in yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, well, I feel like, oh my gosh, I feel like I need to have you back on the podcast at some point because I feel like there's so much I want to learn about you still and like deepen, but I know our time, we have just a little bit of time left. Um, but maybe if you want to speak into the piece that you just shared and revealed of like, you had never done a private practice before 
and yet you mm-hmm. started one. So for anyone else that's listening, um, maybe they're you know similar where they're straddling agency work and trying to start a private practice. What were some of the steps that you took, just tangible, like practical steps? Like, did you invest in simple practice or a software? Did you, how did you figure mm-hmm. out paperwork? How did you build a website? Like anything you want to share that would just be encouraging for anyone that's beginning? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I was really fortunate to kind of have this, um, guide and to have someone who I was paying for, for therapy and my therapy work was starting a private practice. So he really broke it down for me. Like that, that's true therapy. When I'm, when I'm coming in constantly saying, I'm so burnt out, I'm so burnt out. I'm so burnt out. And he's like, okay, here are the tools. And he didn't do anything for me by all means, but he taught me how to start my own business. And I was so scared. And he's like, well, I've never been a server before, but if I went to a restaurant, like I can pretend being a server. And I loved that (laughs) advice of like, you know, just wear, wear the like hat of being a private practice owner, even though you've never experienced it before, because you've seen, you've been on the other side, you've been in the seat of being the client. So you know what it looks like being in therapy. So, um, so I, I, yeah, I got my business license. Um, that was like one of the first things I did because I was using insurance. I registered for CAQH, which is kind of like a credentialing, um, program that all insurances go through to make sure that you're legit. Um, I, what else did I do? Simple practice. Yeah. That was a huge one. I love that system. It's so integrative. I love the talk to text doing my progress notes. I don't know if you use that, but I love um, doing that. No, I do um, not use that. Can you please a- teach me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you download the app on your phone, you literally can like talk to text your progress notes. So you don't have to type them all out. They, and they save. Um, oh so yeah, gosh, I, I love, so I love, I didn't know that. <laughs> No, you don't need to feel silly at all. No, 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 no. This is all the stuff I pick up along the way. I, um, I started my own website on Squarespace. I use Squarespace for that. And it's, it's grown so much. I mean, when I first, um, started, it was like a very basic black and white setting with, I was like, I want to put a Monstera plant on it. And it was really cool. Cause one of my clients, I tend to work with a lot of artists. One of my clients is an artist. He's like, I was really drawn to your website. I'm like, really? Like <laughs> I did it myself. It was really simple. Um, but I think that's the, the benefit of being a millennial or being a younger person is like, it's all figure outable. Like we all grew up with computers, like in a computer lab and learned how to type and things like that. So it's like, I, I figured out how to do a, you know, I'm not like a web designer, but I figured out how to put a website up. I figured out to put my ad on psychology today. I networked, um, just like you, I'm, I hold a leadership position with the NASW. So I think that that also helps, you know, people know who I am and, um, and then the marketing, you know, I, I think that it's really important to put yourself on social media. I think it's really important to kind of put your antenna out there, like your Wi-Fi signal, because then it comes back like tenfold. Like you found me just by me putting myself out there on social media, which is beautiful and lovely and synchronistic. And, um, so I think that you have to really prom- not promote yourself, but give people the invitation to know that they can work with you and claim what it is that you do and how you can help them. And all this other stuff stuff. If you're scared, like the billing, the, um, licensing well, you're going to have your license, obviously, please have your license. If you're going into private <laughs> practice, unless you have a supervisor. Um, but all of that stuff is like figure outable. Like I, 
I kind of went back and like did things a little bit backwards, but I mean, the police didn't come after me. I found a really good tax person. I think that's really good. Finding a lawyer, getting really good liability insurance. Oh, that's like the first thing, get liability insurance. That's <laughs> like, that's the number one thing that you should do. Um, I'm just spitballing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just spitballing all these things, but I really had someone coaching me, um, each week. I remember I, I met with him for five sessions. I had five EAP sessions and I went to him for five sessions and each week I would come back and I was like, I did this now, what do I do? And a lot of it was like sitting and waiting because I was working with insurance and sitting and waiting for that first phone call, right? Like get a Google voice number. That's another one. Um, the <laughs> first phone call of psychology today. And then once you get that first phone call, your phone doesn't stop ringing. It, it just be, that's what I experienced. Like it just became like, I, I got a lot of inquiries each week and, and more and more and more. Um, and of course there's seasons, I would say the holiday season is, um, I don't, I, I, I tend to find that it's not as busy. Um, you would mm -hmm. think that people need more support, but <laughs> I tend to find that there's like these seasons in private practice where it's not as busy and to not get discouraged and to do other things and throw yourself into other endeavors. Like writing that blog, writing that article, um, going yeah. on podcasts, um, networking. So I, I think that we have to enjoy the breaks and I don't think that we were given that permission in grad school or mm. agency work. So, um, when you start a private practice, there's going to be slow seasons and yeah. really lean into that, really enjoy it. Go for your bike rides, go for a walk, go to the beach, like just yeah. really enjoy those slow seasons and do everything out of inspiration, not out of fear. Mm. And that's what I wish I would have told my younger self who started the private practice is like, do it from an inspiration place. Don't do it be out of fear. And I think that, you know, a lot of our money stories and just wanting to pay rent kind of got the best of me starting out. And now I'm aligning myself better. So that's an overview of how I started <laughs> everything. Oh Molly, that's so beautiful. Like, I feel like it's so encouraging to hear whether it's everything is figure outable, whether it's reminding yourself, if you are a millennial, you can do it. You can Google it. You can watch mm -hmm. YouTube videos. You can create a Squarespace, you know, website, which is what I did from both of my websites. And it's not as hard as it might seem, or if it is hard, then you can contract out. You can find a CPA. You can find an attorney mm -hmm. that will help give you that confidence. You can get liability insurance. You can do things to help ease some of the anxieties or, you can ask for help. Like in the same way, like you said, we mm -hmm. organically found each other through Instagram and there are other people out there that want to link arms that want to cheer you on that want to support you. And I, I really like what you spoke into about the seasons and the rhythms of, you know, different, you know, parts of the year of holidays being slower. And I think as people are more seasoned in their practice and as you have more years pass, you start to see and really recognize, okay, like you said, you know, November, December, it might be slower. And then January, everyone's new year resolution is to go see a therapist mm -hmm. and process mm -hmm. the exactly. dynamics of this experience or the substance abuse that they realize that they have over the holidays. And, um, so I think when you do that, it also translates to like maybe your long-term impact and your long-term business game plan of realizing, okay, if November and December are typically slow, or if the month of June is typically slow, then you're going to maybe you know, do your, um, scheduling slightly different than other months to kind of compensate for that mm -hmm. or to anticipate that or put a certain amount of money aside for those months. Um, but I really love what you spoke into about letting yourself play, letting yourself enjoy that, letting yourself, um, rest. Because I think when we do work in agencies or when we are getting our clinical hours, it's such a grind. It's such a, 
a guilt induced, um, season of, you need to just hustle. You need to serve everyone. You need to, um, self-sacrifice mm-hmm. and not, um, not lean into what your needs are sometimes to take care of others. And I think there is something beautiful about what you said about really honoring those slower seasons. So that way it comes from inspiration and not desperation or not, um, a lack of things because you've thought through it, you've planned for it and you're letting yourself enjoy it. So I think that's a huge takeaway. Totally. For anyone listening. Yeah. And get a business account. That's another thing while you're talking, like yeah. you gotta get a, separate your finances. Um, and I think that, you know, when I, when I, again, aligned my business and I said, I wasn't going to take insurance anymore. I lost most of my caseload. I'm going to be honest. And mm-hmm. I, I, as a female and as a business owner, if a first generation business owner, um, I'm really proud to say that I've always like, I've always figured out a way. I don't rely on my partner for anything. Like we, I, I pay my own bills. <laughs> I do my own thing. He's a marketing person. He would do really great marketing for me, but I, I, he doesn't have time. You know, like I hear all these other clinicians where I get a little jealous of like, Oh yeah, my husband does my website and does my marketing and do, do, does all that. And I'm just here to say that like, I didn't really, I didn't get a dime. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't, um, have a, you know, I have white privilege, but I didn't have like a lot of money. I, I really only had like $2,000 in my bank account. And I really just like rubbed my, you know, like really made this happen. And I think that therapists are really creative and that we can really make it happen for ourselves if we allow ourselves to go there. And mm. just because it's uncomfortable, like recognizing like there's growth in that uncomfortableness. Like I've grown so much losing my entire caseload to go to private pay is so, so, so scary, but somehow I've always figured it out. And, um, yeah. And I I just, I know that in the long term, like you said, like, I'm going to thank my future self for making this move that, that makes sense to me, even though it's scary. And even though Mm -hmm. it, it, it doesn't produce a lot more cash flow. Yeah. Oh, Molly, this is so encouraging. I like want to keep talking and I know we need to wrap up, but, um, I would love to have you back at some point. So I w- I feel like even just the conversation of, um, like you said, doing things when you're scared doing things without a certain amount of money to back you that translates into private practice. Mm-hmm. That also translates into launching your podcast, launching other endeavors. Mm-hmm. So maybe you can come back and share a little bit about how you dreamed up that as well. Cause I still feel like I haven't heard about your yeah. podcast enough and I want to learn more about that too. Um, but as we wrap up, as, um, we say goodbye, as I'm going to have in the show notes, your information so that anyone that's listening can connect with you, can follow you, can learn from you. But is there anything that's going on for you the next month or two that um, the audience should know about anything they can follow along with or, um, anything that they, um, yeah, might be able to connect with you on. Yeah, definitely. So you can go to my website, therapywithmolly.com, or you can find me on Instagram at Molly Zive Therapy. And I'm going to be launching more, um, more content, more newsletters, more videos. Um, I really want to help people and guide people. I've kind of taken a hiatus on the therapy snacks podcast, but there's plenty of good episodes that you can listen to. I feel very proud of that work. Um, so I'm really launching into more, um, getting into people's inboxes and getting into people's heads and trying to, you know, awaken them. So, um, if you want to learn more about me, please sign up for my newsletter and look out for, um, all of, those things. Thank you so much for having me. I feel like we could talk forever. I think that's just the clinicians in us too, but I also love your energy, what you're doing. So thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you so much for being here. 
Thank you for tuning in to the Flourishing Therapreneur podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review as that helps other clinicians and therapreneurs find our community and thrive through our offerings. Want to take your business a step further? Visit theflourishingtherapreneur.com or our Instagram with the same handle. Connect with our free community or sign up for an upcoming course to help cultivate your thriving business and endeavors so you can flourish personally and professionally. Until next time, I'm your host, Claire Blakey, and I believe you deserve to flourish as a therapreneur.